It's interesting when you uh, watch programs like um, The Apprentice, or you watch the or Dragon's Den, or any kind of business program. You get this idea that business is very focused on on the issue of profit, returns, sales, and they expect to make a profit. They expect to have a return. They expect there's going to be an increase in sales and. Often, if they don't see an increase in sales, they ask questions, and uh, in business, they make radical adjustments in order to make sure that they do see increase. And you see Alan Sugar being very tough on them. In, I don't know if you watched that TV show, in the last phases of it, the stages of The Apprentice, when they give all their numbers, and they talk about year one, year two, year three, year four. What, what are you going to return? What's your profit? What's the return going to be? He's saying, I'm giving you £250,000. What are you going to give back to me? And there's an expectation that the investment of Alan Sugar or a business or into a shop, that there's going to be profit. And there's an expectation if they're not seeing the returns they expect, they'll make some adjustments. Maybe they'll change the name of the, the company. Maybe they'll change the merchandise they're selling. Maybe they'll put more money into advertising. They'll do something for a return, for a return on finances. And uh, I remember, it's summer 2013, um, just praying, and I really felt the Holy Spirit say, I, I do expect a return on my investment. You know how God speaks, there's no condemnation in it, it's not crushing, it's life-giving, it's challenging and exciting. And I heard those words in my heart, I do expect a return on my investment. I do expect an increase, a multiplication, a return. And what I want to do is look at two parables that Jesus tells in the Gospels that talk about investment and return on an investment. Because the idea of return and multiplication isn't just a secular business idea, it's actually found in the Bible, there is an expectation in the heart of the king that as he releases gifts, abilities, talents to individuals and to a local church, that he is looking for a return and multiplication on his investment, both to the individual and to the corporate body. And so the Holy Spirit can say to us, I do expect a return on my investment. And so some of the things on that card are some of the numbers, and we'll talk about where those numbers came from, um, are guidelines of what would a kingdom return look like for a church like us on the mission that he's called us on. Okay, so we're going to look at the first one of the parables is in Matthew 25 and verse 15 to 30. We won't read the whole thing, but it's the parable of the talents. And it's a very uh, famous parable that Jesus told. And essentially it tells the story of a, a businessman, an investor, who comes up to uh, three people, and to three people he gives a different investment. And in Matthew's uh, account, to one he gives a five talents. Now a talent is a, a sum of money. Okay, so this is a very much a business 
parable. It's a sum of money um, that's been given by the, the business person invested in these three people. So for the first one, he gives five talents, five sums of money. To the second one, he comes up and says, I'm giving you two talents, two uh, say silver coins, two investments. And to the last one, he gives one talent. Now it says in Matthew twenty-five fourteen, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and he entrusted to them his property. So the businessman in this parable is entrusting something that belongs to him. This is the important bit. It's something that belongs to this guy who obviously is wealthy and wants to invest in these people for a return. But it's something belonging to him. It's a measure that he is giving to each of them. It's not that they have suddenly worked really hard and one has worked really hard and they've managed to work themselves to five talents and one's worked really hard and now has two and one's worked really hard and now has one. No, it's actually something they didn't have that was invested into them that he's expecting a return upon. It's something that he is giving to them. It's something that belonged to him and now he's entrusting to them. It's important because everything we have in the kingdom is given by grace. Okay, everything that we're called to steward is given by grace. It comes from him to us. It's not something we work at to get. It's something he entrusts to us. And so he gives it according to their ability to steward it well, it says, in, in, in a, later on. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. In other words, the master takes what's his, gives it to us, and it's given to us on the basis of what we can steward well. Okay? is on the basis of what we can handle well. He looks at the one and says, you can handle five. I'm giving you five. To the, the other one, he says, I'm giving you two because you can steward two. You can look after two well. To another, he says, I'm giving you one because I know you can handle one well. And so local churches are given something that belongs to the king, given to us according to our ability, from his perspective, that we can steward well. In other words, we're not called to compare ourselves to any other church. We're not called to compare ourselves to any other person. If someone is a person with five talents, they're not to feel less because someone has got ten, or someone's got two, and not to feel less than the one who's got five. The, The master, Jesus, looks at each one and says, you can handle two according to your ability, I'm releasing it to you. So both as individuals, we're not to be in a performance mentality or a competitive mentality or a comparison mentality. Because it's something that belonged to him and he's given. It didn't originate with that person, that gift, that ability, that talent, that grace gift. It was something from heaven released to them because of his wisdom and perfect perspective. Because he knew that person could handle that really, really well. On a corporate level, as a local church, we're not to compare ourselves to another church. Maybe there's another church that's a five-talent church. And they're pressing in to seeing 
three, four, five thousand come on a Sunday, and, and we can feel who we're we'll, 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 we're under a hundred. Naturally, the master says, "I've given you what you can handle according to your corporate ability too." So don't compare yourself with what's going on here or what's going on there or what God's doing here. I've entrusted to you a, a measure, a calling, a gift. And so some of those numbers are about what has he entrusted to us? What has he called us to bring as a return? And the other thing is to notice is the, the, the master in Matthew 25, he is looking for a return for his own gain and for the kingdom's benefit. And he says in verse 20, he says, he who had received the five talents came forward bringing the five talents more. And so he had doubled his original investment saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. It's... For him, our value, our identity, our worth is we get to call him dad and we get to become sons and daughters of the king. When we look at the, the, the numbers that are on there, this is for him. We start as winners. We're loved already. We're not working for an identity, we already have one. We're already successful in the eyes of the king. We're righteous, accepted and beloved. But this is for him. Yeah. And so when we, he looks at a local church and so I'm expecting a return, it's for his increase. The increase of his government and peace shall know no end. Like Tim said right at the beginning, that's true. So it means the kingdom has never, ever, ever had a season of withdrawal, become less, the kingdom is always increasing and the king increases his kingdom through men and women who first are devoted in love with him and say Jesus you're worthy of it all, you can have it all, I give everything I am for the extension and the furtherance of your reign, your kingdom in this earth, I give it all, everything for the increase of what you've given me is all for your gain. And see, the master, when he comes, he says, yeah, well done, but he takes the ten. <laughs> yeah? He takes the ten. You've, you've taken the five, you've invested it well, you've returned ten. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've doubled my investment. For him. It's all about him. <laughs> And so those numbers are not really about us, you know, a church of 200. It's not so that we can then say, oh, we're now making it in comparison to what else is happening. It's saying, no, it's for you, Jesus. Yeah. 40 people coming to know you, coming to know your love, coming to know the beauty of being forgiven, the beauty of adoption, the beauty of acceptance, the beauty of a new start, of being alive in Christ. This is the joy that was set before you. And we're just... Your friends co-labouring in the yoke with you, as it were. And Jesus talks about being in, like oxen in a yoke with the master, being pulling along in the fields and playing. We're just, this is all for you. And so we mustn't muddle up this and think, well, 
I get an identity from it. If we can achieve this and achieve that and achieve this and achieve that and become like this and I'll suddenly become somebody. We already are somebody. Mm-hmm. But we have to say, Jesus, you invested grace in us that you're expecting a return. This is for the kingdom's benefit. Yeah. Now, not to muddle us, I want to turn to another um, parable. And this is the parable of the soil that Jesus tells. Now, in this parable... Jesus doesn't use coins, he uses seed. So in the first one, it's a very much a monetary return. In the second one, he talks about the seed of the word of God. And he talks about four responses to the investment of heaven's word in the heart. Okay? The first one is, the seed got sown and it just got snatched. It didn't do anything. No roots, nothing. The second one, it got received with joy, but there was no root. And then when trouble came because of the investment, because of the word, it, it just died because there was no root. And then it talks about the seed getting choked by fear and anxiety and, and, and the desire for other things. And then he talks about the good Soil receiving the seed that hears it, accepts it, and bears fruit. And you can read that in Mark chapter 4, 1 to 20. And so, let's not muddle our parables, because <laughs> we could easily do that. So he comes to us individually. Comes to us corporately as a local church. And he speaks... His word, okay? In lots of different ways, primarily through the reading of the Bible, which is God-breathed, God-inspired. He speaks through the prophetic ministry. Um, Ephesians 4 talks about the gift of prophets who speak what's going on around heaven and tell it onto earth. And he speaks to a local church. And it's like in those moments... A seed gets planted in the soil of our individual hearts or the soil of a corporate heart. Now, the job description of, of leaders, of overseers, of, say, Tim and I in this place, is to be like gardeners looking after the soil of the church, cultivating the soil. Now, I'm not great at gardening, others who are much more gifted and equipped at gardening. But there's something about cultivating, tilling the soil, clearing out the rocks, getting rid of the weeds, putting nutrients in it, tilling it, putting seeds in it, or in one sense preaching, believing seeds are coming this morning that are going to change us and... There's something about producing boundaries in the soil. You know, if you see that, that's what a greenhouse in the sense is, isn't it? You create a boundary, and everything in there, so the good things are going to grow in this greenhouse. Or you do that on an allotment, you create boundaries, and say, actually, these are the edges of this boundary. I'm not letting any weeds get in here, I'm going to till it, I'm going to look after it, I'm going to cultivate this soil. And so, on the back of the card, where you see the numbers, where it says, through... This is really the, the, the kind of people that we're becoming. Because it's not just about what we do, it's the kind of soil that our corporate lives are. That we're a culture of 
of love. It's the soil. The good soil is one that's full of love. And that we're not a church that's going out there just to go after numbers. We're going out there to love people. Actually, that's our primary job description, is to love people. So as we go out into the world, we're not thinking, oh God, we've got this pressure on us. We've got to somehow return 40 people in three years. We'll do it any way we can. Actually, we're going to love people. Going to go and do them good. Going to go and bless them. Going to go and serve them. Going to go and love people with no agenda. We're not going to be car salesmen who will tell you anything just to get you to buy the car. We've got no pressure on it. We're going to love people. We're going to honour people. We've said it before, we're going, to, we're going to see the intrinsic value of everybody. People who agree, people who disagree, people who have totally different mindsets, outlooks, opinions, lifestyle. We're going to love and honour, not necessarily agree, not necessarily mean we'll never confront But we're going to love them. We're going to see the intrinsic value of people made in the image of God. We're going to love them. We're going to honour them. We're going to serve them. We're going to honour the dignity of who they are as a human being. We're not going out there to ram things down their throat. So there's no pressure on you when you're in your workplace. There's no pressure to feel that you've got to to twist every conversation to make it about the gospel. You just go there to honour people, love people, honour your boss, do a good job. And then see what God gives as opportunities in the context of loving and honouring. We're going to love his presence. Be a people of his presence who just love being with him. Who just know that everything flows out of the presence. Every numerical thing on that card flows out of the presence of God. Being in the presence of God. In your own personal devotions with God. Being in the presence of God. As you're reading the Bible, expecting the Holy Spirit to be speaking to you, bringing alive truth. As you're singing to him, praying to him, loving him, being saturated, go on being filled with the Spirit. Get in the presence of God. Prioritise the presence of God over everything. We'll get more done as a people who are full of God than a people who are driven and, and striving and gritted teeth trying to make something happen. Let's see what happens when we're saturated with God. Let's see what happens in our workplace when we're just full of the peace of God, full of the joy of the Spirit, full of the life that's in Him. Let's see what happens by accident. Maybe more will happen by accident than ever could have by just determination. Value the presence. Value Him. Value being with Him. Just love Him. Don't let any of these numbers be to you a drug. They're not going to be a slave driving thing. This is not going to be like... Uh, Egypt, when Israel were in Egypt and they said, make bricks without straw we're not going to be like that we're just saying the king expects a return on his investment for his glory and fame and we're saying, yes Jesus and the way we're going to do it, we're going to love people we're going to honour people, we're going to love your presence we're going to believe that when the Holy Spirit comes there's power and Jesus said, when you receive the Spirit you will receive power and you'll be my witnesses here, 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 everywhere you go We're going to believe that we can get more done by being full of joy in him. And we'll believe that we can step out in faith, taking risks of faith on the prompting of the spirit. Okay, so that's the soil. Now, what I want to talk very briefly about is that his investment, whether it be 
the coin or whether it be the, sort, the, the, the seed has to be really guarded well because it comes under threat. In both the parables of the, the, the talent and the soil, there's both examples of where the investment of heaven comes under threat. In, one of the, in the parable of the talents, the one who gets one does nothing with it because he fears the master and out of fear he doesn't even invest it in the bank. It doesn't return anything. In the parable of the soil, it's, there's one who receives it first with joy, receives the word of God, receives that prophetic word with joy. Have you ever had that? You're in a meeting and God speaks and there's a life that jumps out in you and you know God has spoken and you receive it at first with joy and gratitude and amazement and then you don't handle the difficulty well because of the word, Jesus says, and it withers because there's no root in it. And so we have to say, I, I will not allow the things he has spoken to me, the things he has said to me, the promises that I carry, the things that have come alive in the Bible. I'm not going to be one who receives it in joy in the morning. And then as soon as the first difficulty comes, it withers and dies because there's no root. We have to be careful of that. That we, This is a, this is a, a journey of walking with God, of faithfulness, walking with him in the same direction of just keeping following Jesus, being, being uh, faithful to him, understanding that sometimes the kingdom is like a mustard seed and it grows slowly. And suddenly, in other parables, it says the farmer went to sleep and suddenly it grew. We have to be aware that there's a journey from the promise, as Chris Valentin says, from the promise to the palace, there's a process. Okay? From the promise to the palace... There's a process. Sometimes God takes a long time to act suddenly. You read the Old Testament, 400 years of silence and suddenly there's an announcement from heaven. Go to a stable. The Christ has been born. Suddenly, the woman who had said, I want to lay eyes on the Saviour, says, now I can die. <laughs> I've seen him. 400 years, thousands of years, if you read the whole of the Old Testament from Genesis 3, where the promise is first alluded to of the coming Christ who will crush Satan's head, and the thousands of years, and the, and the eras of difficulty and challenge and setback and victory and defeat that the whole New Testament brings, and then suddenly Christ is there. Sometimes God takes a long while to act suddenly. Moses said, I wish that all God's people would prom- prophesy Thousands of years later, Pentecost is happening. Joel prophesies, he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Thousands of years later, there's a wind and fire, and it's Pentecost and it's happening. And so, we have to be those of patience. We receive it with gratitude, And then we say, I will not allow this investment of heaven to wither because of difficulty or setback or a slowness of pace. I read the story this week about Pavarotti, the famous Italian, is he the tenor? And uh, I think his dad said to him, Pavarotti, you've got to decide which chair are you going to sit on? In other words, he had lots of talents, lots of gifts, lots of abilities. And there came a moment he said, you've got to decide, are you going to be a singer or not? And he said, on that day he decided, I will be a singer. For seven years he trained, 
And for seven more years in obscurity, he trained. And then after 14 years, suddenly he becomes this renowned, amazing singer. And we kind of all remember Italia 90, or maybe we all don't. <laughs> so it kind of gives you gives your age away a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> so we have to take what he said, the promises that he said, I'm not going to let this wither. The other thing that can threaten the seed is the worries of life. Anxiety, worry, the desire for other things. I'm not saying Paul says all things are given for your enjoyment. We have to be those some on a pilgrimage. You've got to settle this in your heart. I'm living for him. I've settled it. When he saved me and loved me and wanted me, And I said to him, I'm all in, Jesus. I'm yours. All things you give to enjoy, but actually, I've settled this. I'm not going to let the desire for other things to usurp the desire I have for you. We've got to settle it. Otherwise, the seed that he speaks gets choked. It says that in Mark chapter 4. The desire for other things. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter it and choke the word out and it proves unfruitful. Settle it in your heart. Go after him. Say, ruin me, Holy Spirit. Ruin me for anything else. Captivate me. That I might be the psalmist. As the deer pants for the water that I might long after you. Don't settle for anything else. Don't settle for a list of rules and do's and do nots and cold-blooded, gritted determination. Say, I must be ruined by the king and his kingdom. I've got to be ruined. Otherwise we find in our lives there's a cycle. He speaks, we come alive, gets choked out. He speaks, we come alive, we get choked out. And you can spend your whole life like that. And he will receive you into heaven and he'll love you. But he's he's, he's looking for you to enter into the partnership of the joy of working with the king and bringing a return. He talks about the deceitfulness of wealth. Money can take away our leaning upon God. It can be deceitful because it can promise what God promises. I'll look after you, I'll provide for you, I'll protect you, I'll make a way for you, I'll give you opportunities. And it's deceitful because it can choke out the real treasure. But actually wealth also provides an amazing opportunity to be radically generous. So money is a good thing. It's not that money isn't evil, the love of it is the root of all evil. But money is an amazing tool to plough into the things of the kingdom. Settle, settle this in your heart. Are, are, you, are you giving generously to the purpose of the king and the kingdom? Not under compulsion, not out of guilt, not out of legalism, but out of obedience to the king, you're saying, my first portion of what I earn, I'm ploughing into the... Bible talks about primarily into the local church for the fervence of the kingdom. Dear friends, if you haven't settled that in your heart, that's a big first step of really 
radically going for the things of the kingdom. Settle the issue of money. Settle the issue of money because it will choke out true riches if it's not settled in your heart. And then he is looking for multiplication, increase on his original investment. Interestingly, the, the account in Luke 19.17, the chapter 19.17 of the parable of the talents, it talks about one getting given ten talents and then bringing a return of uh, doubling that and then the master giving a disproportional promotion. In other words, he brings coins to him and then the master says, now I'm giving you cities. And so a local church can say, I'm starting maybe just with the one talent, but actually as I'm faithfully stewarding, looking after the one, the promotion that you return in faithfulness is disproportionate to what you return to him. It's what the Luke account is telling. You've been faithful in small things, now I'm multiplying that and I'm giving you more to steward. There's something about our capacity grows as we steward well. How do you advance in the kingdom? How do you steward wealth? Faithfulness is the absolute fundamental key in the kingdom. You take what is given and you're faithful with it. You, 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 you don't care how big it is or how small it is. You say, this is going to be the best whatever in the world. <laughs> I'm going to give myself to this. And we could all tell stories, and I've told you many times in my own story of my first job ever in any church was I made 67 orange juices or black currants for the creche. That was it. <laughs> but it meant, as a student getting there at 9.15, and that was sacrificial. That changed things. Because <laughs> I needed to get up earlier to be there to make these black currants or whatever they were. Be faithful with whatever it is you've been asked to steward. Make it amazing. Put yourself into it. Pour into it. Ephesians 4 says, that another job description of leadership in Ephesians 4 is, equip the saints for works of ministry. In other words, Holy Spirit gives an investment into you, whether it's a seed or a coin as it were, it's something from heaven belonging to him, then our job is to equip you for works of ministry, to do the stuff. If you think that church is a couple of people do the stuff and you turn up to observe other people doing the stuff, then you need to get a biblical perspective because that's not the way Jesus or the apostles understood the church. They understood it as a body and different parts have different functions. Some have an equipping function, a releasing function, an enabling function. And I think that's what that's Tim and I's role, is to see the gold in you, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, you in partnership with us, you in partnership with God, stewing it well so it gets released. And the end result of stewarding well is you enter into, it says in Matthew 25, the joy of the Master. Something about partnering with Holy Spirit, walking with him, doing what he called you to do, looking after it well, bringing him a return, and just the joy of walking with him. You enter into the joy. Matthew 28 says, I'll be with you to the end of the age as you're bringing the kingdom to the, to the nations. Something about his proximity that grows as you're just on mission with him. You're just as loved, but something about being on the edge with Jesus 
of just saying, I'm in, expecting impossible things as I partner with you. And you enter into his joy, his happiness, as you bring him a return. And so, finally, imagine if we see in the next three years, 40 people who don't yet know Jesus sitting amongst us who have just come to know Jesus and his love and the forgiveness and the mercy and the goodness of God. Imagine as we go, these are the numbers on the back, as we go into life, that we see 150 people that we rub shoulders with at work, at school, at college, at university, at the bus stop, in life. 150 people getting a breakthrough because they happen to bump into us. Yes, your lucky day. You happen to be on the bus when I was on the bus. Your lucky day, the day you employed me. Because you got more than me, you also got the Trinity. <laughs> it can come as a breakthrough where you know there's a blockage at work. And you ask, the, ask God, what's the wisdom here? What's the system here? And you just know it comes. Maybe it's a dream or a, you listen to a song, but suddenly it can be that can be an opportunity that just naturally appears that you can pray for the sick prophesy life encourage people, bring peace where there's no peace, bring hope all in the sort of context of just being you not having to make it happen, just being on the front foot first knowing I'm paid to do a job yeah, because that's honour we're actually, you're not, not paid to evangelise the workplace yeah. someone's paid you to do a job and to do it really really well now, so that takes the weight off us because you haven't got to manipulate and twist things to make it into something that's not now Jesus says do your job really really well and love people be full of the presence of God and see what happens mm-hmm. right? you haven't got to make it happen you haven't got to manipulate conversations just be you full of God yeah. and see what happens and relax and be full of joy because there's not a lot of joy out there and that'll be a question you'll get asked why are you full of joy 200 people part of us as a local church I'm talking babies through to all the generations in three years I just want to signal that we're expecting an increasing kingdom we're expecting people to get saved people to be added it's believed for a church that does what it's never done in its history, smash through the hundred and press into the two hundred. Not because we want to be bothered too much about numerics, but because numbers matter because people matter. Yeah. And every person's a person with a story who's loved by God. Because he expects a return on his investment. And he looks at us and says, I, I really do believe you can be a church of at least 200. And that's what he's saying right now. It's belief for 300 healing breakthroughs on Sunday mornings over the next three years. It's belief for more and more of the biggies to go bowing to the name of Jesus. More cancers to get healed. More breakthroughs on sickness. More prophetic words that bring breakthrough and hope to people. <coughs> 
And what I want to do is just focus on one of the numbers in the finishing, because I think this is the number that's the most unprecedented for the church. And that's 40 people coming to know Jesus in the next three years. And uh, so these numbers initially start with what would a kingdom return look like in this church? It's, it's just thinking. It's just not numbers that have come from heaven. It's just saying, what would be really great to see? 150, that, that's, that stretches your faith. That's going to need God. That's going to be more than we can do. That's more than we've seen. 300 on a Sunday, that's kind of where we've been sitting, actually, in some ways, seeing breakthroughs, one or two every week. But what about if they... We saw two breakthroughs every week, pretty much. Always, systematically, for the next three years. So they're not heavenly numbers. They're not... They're just guidelines of, Jesus, this looks like a good return on your investment. But the one that we were really wrestling with was 40. Because that's unprecedented. The church has never seen 40 people saved in a three-year period. And... So we, we sent all this off to the publishers and suddenly there were prophetic words about 40. So it's gone off to the printers and uh, I'm in a meeting and randomly we're, all, we're in prayer context and this guy comes up to me or I'm next to him and says, 40 people getting saved in your church. I'm thinking that's really, I don't know this guy. That's a really bizarre, <laughs> why 40? I mean, we'd put 40, because it would sound like a good, encouraging number. Now you're prophetically coming and telling me, actually, 40's on God's heart. So that's on November the 4th, 2013. December 6th, 2013, someone says, the red light in the church is going to amber and it's about to go green. Encouraging, just he's on the move. December 13, 2013, the Lord is getting you ready for a significant season change in your church and goes on to talk about evangelistic growth. And so I just, I want us to be encouraged that, in one sense, we're not begging God to save 40 people. He's promised 40 people. Mm -hmm. Our response to the Master is, you've given, a, you've given an investment... You've, you've said, I'd like to see a return on that investment of, say, 40 people getting saved. Our response is faith-filled action. And so prayer changes from, God, would you say 40, to, will you make me somebody who's so alive in you, I can be part of the story? Yeah. Will you fill me? Will you bring the Bible so alive to me that I'm ruined by every word that's in it? Yeah. Would you captivate my heart? Would you ruin me for anything else so that I'm living with one fixed agenda? You, Jesus, and the expansion of your kingdom. And I'm going to be part of that story. It also raises this response. What do you need if 40 babies suddenly get born? You need 40 mums and dads to look after them. Or you need... Mums and dads ready to care for the new birth. See, the Holy Spirit, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing all the time. There's conversations that people have in the street and on the bus and things. Seeds, 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 seeds. In the 130,000 people that are around here, 
thousands and thousands and thousands of seeds of the gospel, hundreds of them. And so the Holy Spirit is, is looking at them, stirring them, bringing people along to, to water them and to cultivate them. And then he's looking, and he's, only, he's looking for this. Where is there a church where I can bring 40 babies to? Mm. Where, where is there a church that loves Jesus, loves the gospel, who's going to love people? And then he brings them. And so our only response is, make, I, I'm going to be for you, full on Jesus. I give myself to you, in dependence upon you. And I'm going to give myself to be a mum or a dad. In Mozambique, where they're having a revival, the qualification to be a mum or dad of people is that you, could re- you can read the Bible and you can, just, you, you can bring what you've got. Sometimes we've raised the bar of what does it mean so high, none of us ever feel we can be it. You just have to be one step ahead of loving Jesus. You just have to know one thing more than the baby knows, just so that they can look at you and see what normal Christianity is like. Sometimes I taught courses at college and I didn't know what I was doing. And when I didn't know what I was doing, I'd give them a tea break and I'd run to the library and read the next bit. (laughs) (laughs) And you might say, Jamie, preparation would have been helpful. (laughs) And you would have been right. (laughs) But I only needed to be two minutes ahead of them. I just needed to stay two minutes ahead. To be a mum and dad, you just need need to... just to know, this is the local church he's bedding me into. I love where we're going. I love people. I love Jesus. And I want to serve them to help them mature. And that's it. You don't need to know much more. So we need to raise up mums and dads. <coughs> and we need to prioritise what was prophesied in 2011. Outflow. Outflow. Outflow into the community. In other words, this team that's coming at the end of this month from NKCC is a help to get us being outflow. Coming to equip us on two evenings, but to do some stuff on the Saturday to get us out into the community. To do what we're all pretty scared about doing, me included, but sometimes we grow when we get scared. (laughs) Yeah, we grow when we're on the edge with him. Saying, I don't feel comfortable doing evangelism out there. But I know this is what it means to steward well this seed. It means putting on Alpha so that people who don't yet know Jesus, who want to ask questions, can ask as many questions as they like for as long as they need to. And it's about prioritising the kingdom of God wherever we go. Some of the fruit and some of the return that you have will be where you work and where you live. may not be here, but... Bless people wherever you go, because it's not just about people being added into here, it's about the kingdom of God expanding wherever you are. So if you work on another side of London, the, the impact of your life might bear fruit on the other side of London to other churches who will be blessed because you work in a particular office. Okay, we're, we're going to finish there. I can invite you to stand. We're going to pray for us.